0: Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. On, on today's episode, a listener writes in and they have a great question. And the question is this, what is a graven image? What a great question. Well, the graven image, it comes from the KJV, the King James Version. It's found in Exodus 20, verse 4, and the Ten Commandments. The Hebrew word translated grave, it means idol. A graven image is an image carved out of metal, stone, or wood. And so an idol could be an animal, a person, a relief, or even a statue. Pagan idolatry started with the acknowledgement of a power that controls natural forces. Then the presence of such a force is thought to indwell an object such as a stone, a place, or even a location. And so the people would then alter a naturally occurring object like a a standing stone, a planted tree, or a pole, and ask the force to indwell it. And when an idolatrous culture has had the time to contemplate a god's personality, they would then make physical images such as a statue that looks like a woman. And they would even make a relief carving that looks like an animal. Now, people started with wanting something, often children or even good crops. And and then they would observe the circumstances and create gods. And places would then be set aside to commune with these false gods. And, And even before long, the people worshiping these idols were ensnared and gave homage to these false gods instead of to the biblical God. Now, idolatry is a serious business in the eyes of the Lord, who demands absolute allegiance from the people of God. After all, there's no other true god, so it's foolish to trust in deities, gods who cannot save, and to refuse to worship the Lord is idolatry. It's a grave sin. It's condemned all throughout the Bible. Throughout biblical history, most of the prophets spoke against of the idolatry what was the serving of pagan deities, beings that people worship specifically as gods. Those who worship pagan deities built graven images of these false gods and, and even constructed altars at the high places, sites where they were worshipped within the land of Israel. Now, idolatry today exists within Hinduism, tribal religions, and where professing Christian churches gloss over people's animalistic and polytheistic traditions. The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 95, identifies adultery as having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of, or alongside of, the only true God, who has revealed himself in the word. Idolatry can also be seen in in major monotheistic religions, such as Islam, whose practitioners worship Allah of the Quran, and modern Jews, who worship a Unitarian deity defined more by rabbinic tradition than the old testament both these religions are guilty of idolatry because they do not worship the triune god of scripture idolatrous attitudes and even practices don't need to be religious in the sense of being directed towards a defined god or need to occur within an organized religious setting anything that we love more than the lord himself is an idol Jesus makes this point in Matthew 10:37 through 39 where he rejects any who love their family members more than him. In Philippians 3:19, Paul identifies some individuals in that congregation whose god was their belly, meaning that their physical appetites were so consuming that Paul viewed them as worshiping their stomachs. Every fallen culture has idols, and so Christians must be sensitive to what the world is calling us to, to worship in place of the one true God. Neither neither sect, nor power, nor fame, nor anything else deserves the place of supremacy where the Lord deserves in our lives. Only the transcendent, which is identified as the Lord and the creator of all, is deserving of our ultimate worship. And so in John 5.20, the Apostle says, The Son of God has come, which refers to the Lord Jesus' incarnation. You see, in the incarnation, the divine Son has come into the world in human flesh. Only those with faith and assurance in the Lord Jesus can embrace the the incarnation without reservation. John also explains in First John five twenty that the Lord has, has given understanding, and and John's phrase is interesting since the idea of salvation by right knowledge uh, is essential to those countering the apostles' teaching. Knowledge of biblical Christianity is critical. We cannot know God without a revelation from the Son, and therefore knowledge is vital for salvation. Unlike the false teaching of John's opponents, knowledge leading to salvation is knowledge of the incarnate Christ, a person. And such knowledge, it involves belief in facts and personal trust in him as Lord and Savior. And John's point now becomes apparent, knowing him is true. God the Father is inseparable from being in union with God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so to know the biblical God and have eternal life is to be in the Son, Jesus. And so only those who belong to Jesus, who are his disciples, have everlasting salvation. And so the Lord demands our allegiance, but he also expects his people to keep themselves from idols. And since there's only one God, Christians must never set up anything else in his place. And though it may not be the gods of wood or stone common in the Old Testament, Christians must be careful not to make their jobs, money, families, reputations, recreation, or anything else the center of their affections. John Calvin is right when he says the vivifying light of the gospel ought to scatter and dissipate not only darkness, but also mists from the minds of the godly. Now, the Ten Commandments, they provide a roadmap for how Christians ought to live. During Jesus' ministry, he repeatedly talked about the Ten Commandments and their importance for ethical living. In Mark 10, 17-22, Jesus repeated the second table of the law to the rich young ruler. Other examples include the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, 8-10 and 1 Timothy 1, 8-11. In Romans seven twelve, Paul taught that the commandments, even under the new covenant, are holy, righteous, and good. Jesus taught in Matthew five, seventeen through twenty, in Luke twenty four, He is the fulfillment of all of Scripture. And so living in light of the Ten Commandments requires seeing that the whole Bible is about the person and the work of Jesus. Uh, Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 53, and other biblical texts indicate Jesus came and died in the place of sinners and for their sin. Jesus coming again to rule and reign over a new heaven and a new earth from King David's throne. And in the Old Testament, the people disobeyed God and even treated his commandments as if they're just another religious activity. Second, through the Holy Spirit, Christians have been empowered to live by the truth of the word of God. Jesus, the God man, not only lived a sinless life by dying in the place of sinners and for their sins, but also perfectly obeyed the law of God, performed miracles, and even gave his people the power to obey him through the Holy Spirit. Through him, Christians can resist sin and put it to death by understanding how he resisted sin in the power of the Holy Spirit and prayed in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit convicts the people of God of their sin and points them to the finished and sufficient work of Christ alone. And Jesus is now our high priest and our intercessor before the Father. Uh, in, In this role, he functions as our advocate while praying for us to stand strong in the grace of God. And finally, seeing Jesus in all of Scripture, it helps us to understand the nature of the law and its purpose or its design. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to proclaim the sinfulness of man so they, might know, uh, so they might make known to sinners how they can be declared not guilty through the Lord Jesus. In fact, he transfers sinners from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. Through Jesus' finished work, he makes a people who were once not his people his people by giving them a new identity through which they can fight indwelling sin by realizing they will ultimately one day, as they grow in him, become like him. And so the only way that believers can live in obedience to the Ten Commandments is because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, since he is the fulfillment, goal, and end of the law. Well, I want to thank you for listening or even watching this episode. Of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at ServantsOfGrace.org.